right, First John chapter 5 this morning. The other day, I was looking over the cost sheet um, for the the cruise that Melissa and I are are going on next month, and I noticed a charge on there that kind of caught my attention, and it was a $200 charge for cruise insurance. I thought, what in the world is cruise insurance? Insurance. So I looked it up. Well, simply put, cruise insurance is just in case your cruise is anything less than paradise. In case you get sick and require medical care. Um, in case I get eaten by a shark, that'll be covered. Um, trip accidents. In case I crash a jet ski into the cruise boat. Um, It also covers loss of luggage, trip cancellations, trip interruptions, and any other loss that you might incur during your cruise. And you know that got me thinking about how often we prepare for the unexpected. Every single day of our lives... We do our best to head off minor inconveniences and major catastrophes every single day. Several years ago, it's funny, Gabe's here this morning. I was going to talk about him. Several years ago, my son had bought a car, and they offered him an extended warranty. And I talked him out of it. I said, ah, them are a waste of money. What are the odds that that vehicle is going to blow an engine in the next couple of years? Six months later, the engine blew up in it. And so once we buy that car, then we buy insurance. Just in case that car that's coming down the road decides not to stay in their lane, but to come into yours. Now, I have this problem. I have a problem that the deer love my vehicles. I've met many a deer on the highway that thought they could outrun me and didn't. Um, And then once you climb into that car, you have seat belts. You have airbags. There's safety glass in the front. And all of these are preparation for the unknown, what might happen, trying to cut them off at the pass. And what if we have a flat? Oh, wait a minute, we have a spare tire just in case we have a flat. And if you're too lazy to change your own, we have roadside assistance. That's good for flats, running out of gas, and your engine blowing up. (laughs) Now at work, there's workman's comp in case you're injured 
If you lose your job, there's unemployment insurance. There's health insurance to protect us against financial ruin in case of major illnesses. There's life insurance in case the breadwinner of the home dies. There's dental insurance because teeth are going to age. Vision insurance in case of cataracts and deterioration of eyesight. Home insurance in case of flood, hail, hurricane, tornado, earthquake, fire, or alien invasion. Hey, I've seen that on a commercial. And you know, even in relationships, we are so gun-shy that many won't even get married without a prenuptial agreement to protect them just in case. And now even Domino's offers free pizza replacement if you have a pizza disaster on your way home. So many uncertainties in life. Job 14.1 says that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Can I get a witness? Job 5.7 says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. <laughs> and you know, some people seek out religion just in case there really is an afterlife. And their approach to religion is that all religions lead to God. You just got to find the one that suits you. You got to find the one that fits you the best. And yet, in a world of uncertainty, the Bible claims absolute truth, and absolute surety. Now, the Bible claims to be true. It claims to be the true word of God. Therefore, it is objective, not subjective. In other words, it's not influenced by personal feelings or opinions. It's fact because God says it's fact. The Word of God is understandable. It's not mystical. It's not full of hidden things that you've got you've to seek out, these little things you've got to figure out what they mean. It's rational. It's rational for those who diligently seek it out. And when properly interpreted, God's Word yields divine truth. Therefore, it bears God's authority. It is binding in all that it affirms. And because it is God's truth, and it bears God's authority, anything that con contradicts it is wrong. Plain and simple. If it contradicts the word of God, it's wrong. Now, here is a rapid-fire biblical absolutes that we find in the Bible. Sin has consequences, Numbers 32, 23. The Bible is true, Psalms 19, 7. Righteousness brings reward, Proverbs eleven eighteen. Sin is punished, Romans 2, 2. God alone is God, Deuteronomy 4, 39. 
He can do all things, Job 42, 2. He will not act wickedly. He judges according to the truth, Revelation 16, 7. He is faithful, Deuteronomy 7, 9. He created everything, Isaiah 48, 13, including humans, Psalms 103, 100, verse 3. He is good and merciful, Psalms 23, 6. Jesus bore our griefs and our sorrows, Isaiah 53, 4. Jesus is the Messiah, John 6, 69. He knows all things, John 16, 30. Was sent by the Father, John 17, 8. He has authority to forgive sins, Matthew 9, 6. He will not reject those who come to him, John 6, 37. He knows those who are his, John 10, 14. He has entered into God's presence on the believer's behalf, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. And he will return, Revelations 22, 20. Salvation is guaranteed, Romans 4, 16. There will be a resurrection, Job 19, 25 through 27. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, Romans 8, 28. Sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God, Ephesians 5, 5. The day of the Lord will come, Thessalonians 5, 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and God will strengthen and help his people, Isaiah 41, 10. Those are absolutes. Those are the truth. Those are found in the word of God and are absolutely true. Isn't it reassuring that in a world of uncertainties, as believers, we need no insurance, we need no extended warranties, we do not need a spare anything when it comes to our relationship with Creator God. That's reassuring. That's refreshing. And John wrote this epistle to give believers an assurance of their salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and we will read to the end. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. <coughs> and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that he desired of him, that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. These things I have written 
that you may know. God wants you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt with full confidence in your salvation. This isn't something that we're unsure about. This isn't something that we're kind of wavering on. This is something that God wants you to be absolutely sure of your salvation. That is exactly why John wrote this epistle. In the book of John, John chapter 20 and verse 31, John says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, the gospel of John was written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ, that you can have eternal life in believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the letter of 1 John, the little epistle of 1 John, was written so that you believers can know and be sure of your salvation. John was written so that you might believe, and 1 John was written so you can be sure in your belief. He made it very clear that this only applies to believers, only believers in the name of the Son of God. And throughout the whole epistle, he has given us little litmus tests to take to make sure that our walk with God is true, that our walk with God is genuine. If you pass those tests, the tests of loving God, keeping his word, and loving others, then you, my friend, can be sure of your salvation. You know, many other religions lack assurance. Many other religions lack assurance. You never know how good you're doing until you die, according to their beliefs. But God makes it very clear. He wants us to be sure of our salvation. He wants you to be sure of your walk with him. Sure of eternal life. Eternal life, that's just, that is living with God in heaven eternal life and understand this eternal life started the moment you accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior now it doesn't come to fulfillment until after the resurrection until after the rapture of the church when it is comes to its fullness its full manifestation but you became eternally alive the moment you accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior Assurance of of answered prayers. John says, this is the confidence which we have before him, before God, before God the Father. John says, listen, this is the boldness, the openness, the freedom of speech that we have as we come before the Father with our petitions. Why? Because Jesus Christ is, is our Lord and Savior. We have accepted him through salvation. And with that, we can approach God the Father with our petitions with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our times of need. Now listen, of course John had to throw in this disclaimer. According to his will. God the Father will answer our prayers according to his will. He will not only hear our prayers, but he will grant those requests when we request them according to his will. Think about that. God handed us a blank check with one qualifier. He says, all we have to do is write that check according to his will. And he will fulfill it. And John had told us this earlier in this letter. 1 John 3, 21 and 22, he says this, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God that we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 15 and verse 7 when he said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But we also must ask with a clear conscience. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. <coughs> John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14 says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. In my name is another way of saying, according to my will. In my name means in line with who he is, in line with his character. Ask anything that lines up with who I am, and I will answer that prayer. You see, the purpose of prayer, now think about this. The purpose of prayer is never to align God's will to ours, but it is to align our will to God's. And God is under no obligation to grant our selfish prayers. James chapter 4 and verse 3 says, When you ask and you do not receive, it's because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. <laughs> I need a new spouse. Lord, I need a new house. I need a new job, a new car. Oh, yeah, and help me win the lottery. <laughs> you know, even Jesus prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. You see, praying according to God's will not only brings God, God glory, but it also brings the believer's joy. John chapter 16, verse 23 through 24 says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name until you have not asked for anything in my name. 
Asking you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. Hmm. And you know, the only prayer that God is ever obligated to answer to an unbeliever is the prayer of repentance. Can he answer any other prayer from an unbeliever? Sure, if it glorifies the kingdom. But he is not obligated to answer the prayers of unbelievers. But don't worry. I know some say, well, how do I know what the will of God is? How do I know what I need to pray? What is it that I have to pray? Psalms chapter 37 and verse 4 says, If you delight in the Lord, he will give you or he will plant in your heart the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, he will plant in your heart the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, he will put into your heart what his will is. And then you pray that prayer, that prayer of God's will, and God will answer that. Look at verse 16 again. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) Apparently, John and his readers understood what that sin was. They knew what that sin was leading unto death. We know that because there was no explanation as to what this spoke of. But there are really only two possible answers to this. And both of them can be backed up by Scripture, so we can't be dogmatic by either one of them. First, he could be speaking to unbelievers or speaking about unbelievers. You see, God knows the hearts of an unbeliever. And there comes a point where they reach the point of no return. Where God has hardened their heart because of their own hardening of the heart. As time goes on and God knows that heart, there comes a point where God pulls back the ability for that person to receive salvation. Now, by no means is John telling us to not pray for those people because we don't know when that point is. We don't know that. And so we continue to pray. And what he says is that the prayer for these unbelievers will not be answered. Now, the second possible answer to this is for believers. John is talking about believers, and it refers to physical death, not spiritual death. A spiritual, a a physical death that is caused by a certain sin that is so critical that God takes their life. And John says, listen, there's there's no benefit in praying for those in those situations because God will not answer that prayer. 
You see, he did it in the past. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. For lying to the Holy Spirit in front of the church, he took their lives. And once again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, those that were abusing the Lord's table, he said, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and many of you have died because you're abusing the Lord's table. Now, I don't believe it's speaking of one sin in particular, but any sin that God determines to be serious enough the state of the heart that warrants such a discipline, a discipline of death. And then John, verse 17, John goes on to say, although not every sin ends in death, thank God, every sin is serious. Every sin is serious. Verse 18, hang with me, we're wearing down here. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You see, John reminds us one last time. If you remember over and over and over again, John repeated, if you are a true believer, you will obey God's word. If you are a true believer, you will love your neighbor. If you're a true believer, you'll love God. If you're a true believer, you will obey the word over and over and over again. And one more time, in closing of this letter, John reminds us that no believer, no true follower of Christ will continue to sin. Will just freely and openly continue to sin. You see, unbelievers can't help it. That's their nature. They are sinners from birth, Psalms 51, 5. They are slaves to sin, John 8, 34. They are defiant, rebellious haters of God, Psalms 5, 10. They are under the rule of Satan, Ephesians 2, 2. They are dead in trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2, 1. And Paul said it this way to believers. In Romans chapter 6, he says, But thanks be to God, that you were once slaves of sin, but become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, Leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting that time from things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it ends with eternal life.
And then verse 18 goes on to say that Jesus protects us from Satan. Like a good shepherd, he protects us from the wolves. You see, that's God's part, is to protect us. Our part is to keep ourselves pure, 1 Timothy 5.22, to keep the commandments of God, 1 John 3.22, to keep the faith, 2 Timothy 4.7, to keep unstained by the world, James 1.27, to keep from idols, 1 John 5.21, to keep God's word, 1 John 2.5, and to keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude 21. But you see here, John focuses on the supernatural keeping of God's children, of his own. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And you, your whole spirit and soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Second Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. As sure as we belong to God, we are also sure that the whole world is under the control of Satan. Politics, education, religion, entertainment, all under the control of Satan. And there is no middle ground. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And now look at 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God is come... And hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now. When John says the son of God has come. This indicates that he has come. And he is still present. He has come and he is still here. That we may know him. This is more than just knowledge. This is more than just having a head knowledge about him. This is talking about having a union with him. A relationship with him. And then verse 21 simply says this. Put nothing above or before God. Do not allow anything to become an idol to you. That is anything that you put before God. 
The evidence is by the priority that we place on God. You want to know if you have an idol in your life? Is there anything that you put before God? Before your time of prayer? Before your time of reading? Before your church attendance? What is it that we have in our lives that takes priority over God? And John says, my little children, don't let it be that way. Make sure that God is your top priority, the number one priority in your life. So is anybody sure of your salvation this morning? (laughs) That is what God wanted for us. Would you stand to your feet? I am so thankful. I know time and time, and I mentioned more than once as we went through 1 John over and over and over, and God kept repeating himself. Love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Do you understand to love your neighbors? Obey the word. Obey the word. Do you hear me? I say obey the word and love God. Love God, love God, and you shall know that your salvation is sure. Father, we thank you. I thank you as we close this book today, God, for the assurance that you have given to each of us as followers of Jesus Christ. God, there was no dark areas. There was no gray areas. Father, you made it very clear And for each of us, God, as we stood before the mirror of your word, God, you made it very clear and very obvious whether our relationship is true or whether we are liars, God. And now, Father, as we conclude this book and we conclude this service, Father, we thank you for that. And we ask now, Father, as we leave this house, that we leave with a confidence. We leave with that surety, God, that you are our Savior. And we love you and we thank you for that. Keep us safe today in our travels. And bring us all back once again, Father, to receive of your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you for coming. Have a great day.